I looked down at the crooked, smiled, mischievous mother laying on the exam table. She doesn't know what's coming for her. Oh, poor Tess. I whisper, laughing silently. Tess woke up to the fluorescent lights shining in her eyes as she lay dazed and confused. Or at least it looked like it before she jolted up and snatched the syringe off the metal tray, pointing it at the black outskirts of the spotlight shining down on her, where it was almost impossible to see anyone outside of the light. Show yourself. Come on. What do you want with me? She croaked, still staggered and bruised from the rocks thrown at her. I see our new patient has arrived. I said. She twirled around, squinting, struggling to see anything in the darkness, squinting through her bloodshot eyes. got an empty syringe there, miss. What do you plan to do with that? I grinned, trying to keep composure. Confused, she lowered the syringe. What is this? How am I what? Where? Before she could finish her long rant, her face went blank and her eyes rolled back, and she dropped to the ground. This left Armando, one of my most cumbersome scientists, standing behind her holding a syringe with a tiny bit of yellow liquid left inside it. The sleeping syrup. Nice choice. I mumbled. Thank you, he said, and walked off back to his computer. Here's my little secret. The people that were stoned weren't actually dead. They were knocked unconscious and then taken to my underground lab built 200 years ago by my great-great-great-grandfather. So I guess you could call this a family business. How convenient. Even though some people, like the police that are trying to find me, count my family as a generation of mass murders, the victims become patients, and they should rather be thankful for me. I give them a second chance at life. That is, if you can survive the tests and injections we bestow upon you. But in the end, everyone is going to end up dying. So what's the problem with cutting it short for some people? With high security in this underground building, it makes it almost impossible to where no one could find it or get into it or leave. Ever. Except for me, because of course, I'm part of the town council and host the lottery every year. The building is rather big. Every scientist gets their own little living space, accompanied with a bed and sink. The kitchen and bathrooms are down the hall, but other than that, the labs are downstairs. Patients have a special place for their own. One glass room per patient where they are fed once a day, with one bathroom stall to accommodate all the other patients. After the long day of putting her in her cube and making new space for her, I decided to close my eyes and call it a night in my common space in my wing of the building. Something that I never expected to do is to wake up to the sound of blaring horns and red shadows circling around my room. Someone had escaped or was in the process of doing so. Opening the doors to the hallway, I see the white lights blinking on and off as if a ghost had possessed it. There were scientists frantically running up and down the halls, and the floor was covered in lab utensils and sheets of paper. Over the time span of 200 years, no one has ever escaped the lab. I ran down to the lab area to discover that Tess had escaped. The person I least expected to escape was her. How? 
She had been here only for a couple of hours locked away in her glass cube. The good news is that the nearest place of hell is miles of treacherous endeavors away. The way to our town is untraceable without a map. The nearest city, with a small chance of getting there, is four to five days away, which is practically feasible. Even with the smallest chance of her survival, we needed to be positive she was dead, which is why I need another patient to test. We had to do the lottery again. How? How was I going to tell the council she wasn't actually dead and had run away? So it was necessary to keep the tradition going and use another patient for the year. As they can't test animals, they are so much more different than the human. I finally came to a conclusion. Whenever the funeral committee was going to get her body from where it was stored to place it in the casket, they found it empty. She had run away. There was no other possible theory. If she was dead, she would have stayed there. But if she was alive, you would think she would run away. Even if someone had taken her body, we check on her body every 12 hours to make sure it has been taken. The spirits of this town will be awfully mad and place an irreversible curse on the town if we don't continue or start again. It may even result in the elimination and death of every citizen of the city. I don't think we have a choice. I knew this was going to be a clear route and very easy to convince them. All I had to do was sugar them up and make them feel bad and that it was the safety of our community. I fell asleep doing some paperwork for the council and woke up to a glow of the red and orange sunset in my eyes and the crow of the rooster in the background. I looked into the musty and old antique clock. It was half past eight. The meeting for my trial was at 8.45. I quickly shuffled through my room, an American Ninja Warrior course of dodging loose papers, old couches, dirty laundry, and three-legged desks. Throwing my clothes on, running out the door, eating my old half-eaten bagel, and gathering all my papers together took approximately seven minutes not including the 10-minute car drive. So you could say I was two minutes late, which was highly unacceptable by the protocols of the meeting. The hearing went by in the blink of an eye. I didn't have to work my mouth off, and I didn't even have to beg. I gave them the facts, and they gave me the permission and access to rewrite that black dot on the paper, or, in other terms, call another round of the lottery. January 9th, they said, was when the tradition would resume. Two days. Two days to prepare for a new place in the lab. Two days to get our syringes and chemicals ready for the test tubes and beers. Two days. I really needed this new patient, as they are so substantial for my project. Going through those two days felt like sitting in math class while looking at the clock the whole time, just watching each tick and each minute, anticipating for the bell to ring, or in my case, waiting for January 8th to end. It even felt like a lottery day. The fog in the morning air was thick, and the shadows of the trees flashed the streets where the citizens walked quietly. The tension in the air hung through the hushed conversations in the crowd where everyone stood. Each family anxiously hurried towards the worn-down chipped box, not knowing what would come for them. When the time was right, everyone looked down at the pieces of yellow parchment, and all but two faces took a sigh of relief. Mr. and Mrs. Dunbar had turned rather pale, if anything. All right, everyone raise up your lottery slips. I commanded. I already knew what family it was, so I didn't have to walk among the rows and rows of people scavenging for the black doll on the small pieces of paper held up unevenly in the air. Five rows down and over three was where I found Dunbar. The three of them were lined up so perfectly and so stable they could be a barricade. Knowing what they needed to do, they walked up towards the box and shoveled the cards again. Each one of them put their hand in, shakingly stirring the papers around, hoping they wouldn't have to face the opening of a paper 
with a black dot drawn onto it. Miss Dunbar had been chosen. After the whole stoning process, I took her to my lab and Dr. Vince injected her with the sleeping serum. But little did he know that he hadn't completely cleaned the syringe out, so it was still cornered and had excess of sulfuric acid. This time, she didn't fall down, but she looked down and up at me and said, I am now under your service, sir. I quickly looked from Dr. Vince to Miss Dunbar and back to Dr. Vince in disbelief. I dropped to my knees in shock. Finally, out of generations and generations in my family, I, Dale Bradford Summers, had finally figured it out. I knew how to take control of the city, the state, the country, and even the whole world. Doctor, make about 5,000 of these, I said powerfully. I need them finished by next week. Use every lab tool, every staff worker, every drop. But one thing. I said. Yes, Mr. Summers, anything you'd like. You have to swear to secrecy that you will not tell anyone what you're making. Just tell them it was Mr. Summers' order. Yes, sir. He said, and he went off, doing the magic of science. Finally, the day came, and Dr. Vince and all the other scientists had finished. Since I was part of the council, I figured I didn't need to ask permission to inject them with my serum. The lottery was a different story, but now the people couldn't resist. My assistant and I made a long venture towards the town, ready to take control. Finally, I got the whole town, and I had all the respect and ethics. I declared that we go find Tess. She was a criminal, and a word about me couldn't get out, so they went off into the forest, ready to pounce like a tiger at her. For the next two days, I gnawed at my nails like a beaver would to a tree. The town was a total ghost town. Everyone was gone. I felt empty and bleak. A part of me was saying, she will be found, but another part of me was saying that I will be found instead of her, and I will be imprisoned for the rest of my life messing up my family legacy that had been worked on for ages. A week goes by and still no one is coming back. I decide to wait one more day, but I'm woken up by police sirens circling around the lab. Goosebumps form on my arm and my eyes shoot open. How? How did they find me? I've been gone forever. I sprint out of my bed and go through my secret back exit. The pitch black corridor leads me to a steel door, where I push it with all my might to find towering trees in a never-ending but open forest. I quickly look around and see the police running after me along with the whole town. I'm cornered, I thought in disbelief. The serum must have worn off, and then I saw her. Tess. Her dress was ragged and torn, but she was confident and walked towards me, looked me straight in the eye, and punched me, right on my jaw. I fell to the forest floor, covered in debris, aching with pain. What was that for? I grumbled. Oh, I didn't mean to, she said with a sarcastic attitude. I should have hugged you for holding me hostage and being responsible for the death of thousands. Not even ten seconds later, the police picked me up and dragged me towards the old and beat-up cop car. I was done. I had succeeded, yet failed. 
In the end, I was put on death sentence. The last words I were able to cough out were, I failed. Maybe in the afterlife, I'll have another chance. Who knows, though?